0: Today's reading is from uh, Ecclesiastes, chapter 9, verses 1 to 12. Um, It is on page 668 of the Church Bibles, or else it's in the leaflet, or you can follow along on the screen. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil and there is madness in their hearts while they live and afterward they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward and even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Go, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labour under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favour to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them.
1: Settle down, come on. <laughs> Enjoy all the days of your meaningless life. <laughs> we're starting a new series this morning calling, called Chasing Life. And we're exploring the question of where you find the good life from the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes is thousands of years old. It's one of the 66 books of the Bible, one of the 39 books of the Old Testament. And Christians believe, in spite of how in your face abrasive uh, Ecclesiastes can be, that this is God's word to us. Barry Webb, who some of us will know, said this about the book of Ecclesiastes. He said, it's thoroughly irritating but at the same time, almost mesmeric in its appeal. It draws us towards it by mirroring the perplexity we all feel as we grapple with life. What Barry Webb is saying is that the questions that we face are the same questions that the the author of the book of Ecclesiastes faced. And as he engages with them, so we can learn from him. And in chapter 2, verse 3, we have really his purpose statement. He wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their life. He wanted to know where the good life could be found. Not just a life of, you know, kicking back, chilling out in the pool. You know, that's not the good life he's talking about. He's actually talking about living a life that is worth living. Living a life of substance, a life of purpose, of satisfaction, of meaning, of joy. A life that you can look back on and say, a life well lived. And I think for most, if not all of us, we want to live this kind of life ourselves, yes? You don't want to look back and go, what a waste of however many years that was. We all seek the good life. But it's kind of like a mountain. There's one goal, the summit, but we all climb it in different ways. We all seek the goal of a good life through different means. And each of those means that we're going to look at are topics for the next series of our sermon. Different roads, different paths, but the same goal of how it is good to live your life in the few days that you have been given. Today we're looking at power. Now, I don't know what you think about when you think about power. Some of you might be there going, actually, I'm not into the whole power thing, you know, world domination for dummies. Uh, That's not me. Um, I wonder if this book actually does exist. I'm not sure. The internet told me it did. But what I'm talking about and what Ecclesiastes is talking about is... Not world domination, but just my little sphere, my world domination, in the sense of control. And if you are particularly seeking meaning and purpose, the good life through this, the kind of thing that's going through your head, the story that's there says something like this. If I can control my world, then my life will be manageable and have meaning and purpose. If I can control my world, then my life will be manageable and have meaning and purpose. I want you to note two key assumptions that might set some alarm bells ringing. The first is that the world can actually be controlled. And the second is that you have what it takes to do that. For some of us, our alarm bells are starting to ring because we know that life doesn't always work like that, yes? So the question, maybe we need to tweak it, how can we live a good life in a world that so often defies our control? Now, we're going to do this under four key headings, the first one being a little bit of an intro. We're going to introduce you to Ecclesiastes, give you four points to take home as you engage with the text that I think are helpful Then we're going to explore our craving for control, why it is that we want control, why the ducks just won't line up, and the paradoxical path to peace. I'm a preacher and I love alliteration. Uh, If I could have, all my four points would have started with the same letter, but I couldn't. Uh, So I'll just have to do with that one. Four points. Let's jump in. We're going to look at Ecclesiastes. Now, I don't know if you've read it, but you probably would have found as you opened it, if you did open it today, as Mel read it, it's in the Old Testament. And it's part of the genre, part of the style that we call wisdom. Now, wisdom books are quite different from a lot of the other books. They're quite distinct. They're not uh, like the prophetic books or the historical books or those kind of things. The wisdom books, Proverbs, Song of Songs, Some of Psalms... Some of Psalms. Uh, Some Psalms, not all the Psalms are wisdom Psalms, but some of them are. Song of Songs, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs. And in the New Testament, the book of James kind of fits into this category. What wisdom does is it looks at life and how life works. So they're not necessarily dealing with the big picture of God and how he relates to us. They're dealing with the nitty gritty about how you live life on the ground and being an old testament wisdom book we actually have more answers than they had available to them we actually have more data that we can draw conclusions from so we can learn from their questions but some of the blanks that they drew we actually can fill in because god later on in his word has given us some of those some of that information that's the first thing the second thing is, if you've read the book of Ecclesiastes carefully, you'll see it actually has two different authors. The first one is someone that, depending on your Bible translation, will be called the preacher or the teacher, uh, or uh, if you're being really high tech, you can use his Hebrew name, call him Kohelet, uh that's there. Uh, and here we have him in the start of chapter one. I, the teacher, I, Kohelet, was king over Israel in Jerusalem whether he actually was Solomon or just styling himself on Solomon. There's questions about that. I applied myself to to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. This guy, this preacher, this teacher, is sharing his reflections on life in this world. But there's another voice that comes up, particularly at the beginning and the end. So verse 1 someone introduces his work, the words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And then in chapter 12, starting at verse 9 and going through to the end, we have his summary. Not only was the teacher wise, but he imparted knowledge to the people, etc., etc., etc. And what we have then is the teacher's block of teaching, which is then bookended by an editor, And the editor really, I believe, has the final say. And so we have to read both of those voices together. The third thing, you'll actually notice that as you read through, if you read through carefully, there are two different perspectives that are being spoken of. One came out in what Mel was talking about as she read. It's the under the sun perspective. He's looking at life and he's looking at life... Almost as if there is no God. He's taken God as a category out and he has lots of unknowns. And so in our culture, this would be what we'd call a secular worldview. It's just what you see. It's what's hands-on, what you can see, taste and touch. It's the inferences you can draw then and there. That's one perspective under the sun. And then you have a second perspective that pops up on occasion And a perspective that I believe we share because we have the New Testament and particularly the gospel of the Lord Jesus, we have the under heaven perspective. We have that larger perspective that actually acknowledges that this world is not a closed system. This world does have a God who is on his throne. And that makes a difference. So that's the third point. And then I want to introduce you fourthly, to the teacher's favourite word. Now, if you've studied Ecclesiastes, you will know this. You heard it a number of times in the reading. Uh, here it is in Hebrew, so you can impress your friends. Uh, with the H's in Hebrew, you've got to kind of get the guttural thing going. So, it's the back of the throat kind of thing. And a B is actually a V. So, if we're going to, it's not Hebel, it's Hebel. So, everyone, one, two, three, Hebel. Hevel is what you want, okay? And what it actually means, this is the word that is translated meaningless or vanity in the kind of translations you've probably got in front of you. It means a breath or a vapor or a mist, something that's passing away, something transient, something without profit, without substance, that's ephemeral, that's in vain the best illustration I can think about it is like this. Here today, gone tomorrow and no trace left. It's passing away. It's like the morning mist that you can chase after it, you can never catch it, and then it's just gone and no one remembers it. That is the word that Kohelet, the teacher, uses 38 times, I think, throughout the book. And if he wants to make his point in the opening section, he says, Hevel of Hevels, says the teacher, Hevel of Hevels. Everything is Hevels. He uses it to basically smash any pretensions that we have. So there's your introduction to Ecclesiastes. Those four points, that it's a wisdom book, two authors with two perspectives and lots and lots of heaven. So how does this speak? How does Ecclesiastes speak to our desire to control? Because we do want to control, don't we? We want things to work out. We want our ducks to line up in a row. Maybe at work, maybe you sit down and you work out your career goals. This is how things are going to progress. Maybe you're in small business and what you're striving to do is to build the business and you plan out how that's all going to work. Maybe your boss or the guidance counselor is sitting down with you and working through those things. On a personal level, maybe you've got uh, into things like David Allen's getting things done. Anyone use this? Ah, oh, come on, I use this. This is great. I've got a little app on my phone. It's all my to-dos. It just organizes my life. Tries to keep chaos at bay. We want order at work. And we want it at home, don't we? One of Kurong, our local Christian bookshop, bestsellers. How do you have have a new husband by Friday? <laughs> Can I just say I couldn't find the How to Have a New Wife by Friday book. Maybe someone's not brave enough to write that one, but look at it. Look at the subtitle. How to change his attitude, behavior, and communication in five days. (laughs) This is a book all about control. So, husbands, if your wife has this on the shelf, you're in trouble. <laughs> but can I say, we want our relationships to line up, don't we? We, who are parents, we want someone to tell us the secret that if I do A, B and C, my kids will turn out okay. As a Christian, I, I long more than anything else for my children to grow up and to know and to love and to serve God. And if someone comes along and says, this is the secret, this is how you do it, I like that. And I think you do too. We want control. We want it in our society. We'll vote for people who promise to keep order. Donald Trump and his wall. Need I say more? The one that offers us security or not our security, wants to keep us out, I think. But anyway, um, but someone who comes in and says, I've got it sorted, I'll keep you safe. We like these people. For those of us who are studying, school, TAFE, uni, getting the right techniques, getting into the right classes, getting the right teachers, getting the right tutors alongside you, working hard in the right ways, working smart, not just hard, so you actually get into the right courses, into the right degrees, into the right jobs, and you guarantee your future, don't you? That's what we're being told. If we tick the boxes, if we get it right, we can have control. Our society believes this. Our society tells us that we should be able to control stuff. This is why we get so thrown when the weather blows out the lights. It shouldn't be like this. We should be able to control. Who can we blame? We want control. And we think we should have it. And can I say there's an element where actually... Life does work like this. If you read the book of Proverbs, you get little stories like this, little proverbs like this. Plans fail for the lack of counsel. So if I don't take advice, my plans will fail. But with many advisers, they succeed. Proverbs is much more upbeat on the fact that you can actually control the outcome. But Proverbs is a book alongside Ecclesiastes. We look back in the start of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, and we see that God created with order, with purpose. Life should be predictable. But it's not, is it? Hevel is here to stay. Why won't our ducks line up? Well, the writer of Ecclesiastes, the teacher, he notes this, doesn't he? He says, I've seen something else Note, under the sun, the race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happens to them all. In case you missed it, moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times, when that fall upon them unexpectedly. As you sat down and you thought about 2017, if you're that kind of person, and you thought about, well, what's coming? You didn't sit down and make alongside all your plans. You didn't say, oh, cancer, fit that in. Maybe a divorce, uh, maybe retrenchment. Car smash. Hevel. I sat down this week ...with my diary. Can I say? Hevel. The best laid plans, as Robbie Byrne said, of mice and men often go awry. I sat down with a friend who, through medical mishap, has had his life turned upside down. And his family's life turned upside down. And he said to me... He said, I didn't sit down and make a plan... For this to happen. But it happened anyway. Why? Are we left with Ecclesiastes just saying it happens? The New Testament, I think, actually gives us a bigger perspective. Romans 8 says like this. Creation was subject to frustration. Now, let's just pause there. In Paul's time, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome. In Paul's time, there was a Greek translation of the Old Testament. Originally, that was written pretty much in Hebrew, and they'd translated it across into Greek. And the word that Paul uses here for frustration is the word that in that Old Testament Greek translation is translated "hevel." So Paul, if he was writing in Hebrews, would have said Hebrew would have said the creation was subject to chevel. not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Paul is telling us that the hevel in this world, the unpredictability, the uncontrollability is a result of God's judgment on human sin. And as we experience it, we are reminded that we are not in Eden anymore. Things go awry. The best laid plans. We're walking happily. And then something happens. But the amazing thing here, you'll see it. It was subjected in hope. There is a forward-lookingness to Hevel. There's something that's actually meant to make us crave this fulfillment, this promise, that this liberation from this bondage to decay, that there would be a time in the future where there is no more Hevel. Brothers and sisters, how do we respond to a world that though we strive for control, it slips through our fingers? Well, I'll tell you how our world responds. They either throw it all in a heap and lie down on the couch and watch TV for the rest of their life, fatalistic surrender, or they find the next self-help guru the next person who promises that they can fix it, they can give you the system, the technique for the control. Or they lapse into doing their best to be God, to control in the darker side, through coercion, through manipulation, through intimidation, through passive-aggressive, They manipulate the people around them to make life work out the way they want. And they inflict pain as they seek to bring order to their own personal world. But it doesn't work. Why do we have a society where anxiety, depression, stress are at endemic levels. Because, brothers and sisters, we are told that we should be able to do this. But the Bible tells us that short of the Lord Jesus returning, we will never be able to do this. And what we end up with is that our need for control ends up controlling us. We end up a slave to our systems we end up living a life that is far short of the good life that the teacher and we long for. So what's the answer? What's the paradoxical path to peace? Well, the Lord Jesus models it for us. He lived perfectly in a world under the sun. Jesus did not strive for control. Rather, he surrendered it. He gave up, not into the meaningless nothing, but he actually submitted himself to the Father's will. Do you remember the Garden of Gethsemane? What does Jesus pray? Not my will, but yours. I will not seek my ends, my control, but I trust that you will be at work. Jesus shows us what it is to trust the Father, to trust the one alone who can control this world, to trust the one who works all things for the good of those who love him. Jesus shows us what it means to not chase power, seeking life but actually accepting that God has the power to grant life. Doesn't mean that life will be stress-free. Jesus showed us that. Sweat like drops of blood poured off him in the garden. It doesn't mean happily ever after. Jesus shows us that. But brothers and sisters, we cannot control our world. But Jesus not only shows us the way to go, he actually makes it possible for us to do it. Jesus is more than a model. He embraced this transience. You think of the one life that was not here today, gone tomorrow. Jesus... The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the eternal Word of God. He, he became Hevel, the vapor, the mist, thirty-three years, and then gone. Jesus, the eternal one, becomes transient reality in its essence becomes insubstantial a vapor let's read philippians 2 the very nature god did not consider equality with god something to be used for his own advantage he could have but he didn't he let it go he submitted to the father's will He made himself nothing. The one who is in very nature, God, made himself in the very nature of a servant, in human likeness, in appearance as a man. He didn't insist on his control, his power, his way, but accepted the cross. He became obedient even to death on a cross. Jesus is eternity who became a moment. Why? To do what Paul promises in Romans 8, to usher in the freedom and glory of the children of God that became available to us. So that we might have faith in the Father who says he works in everything. For the good of those who love him. The plans of God never go awry. He achieves what he sets out to achieve. Brothers and sisters, Jesus modeled it but made it possible that his Father is our Father and opened the gate that meant that our life doesn't have to be this meaningless here today, gone tomorrow. But the death that ends everything, that Ecclesiastes, that the teacher in Ecclesiastes lamented, we know is just a gateway into real life, into real substance, into a life without heaven. Brothers and sisters, the way to have the good life is not to seek power but to trust God who has given us Christ. Let's pray. Lord, it's so hard. We're told, our hearts tell us, our world tells us that we must have control, that we must make everything line up that it all rests on us and Father the weight of that expectation that is put on us and that we take upon ourselves, it crushes us we are anxious we're stressed we worry we do not know what tomorrow brings we can live in fear but Father this is not the life that you have called us to we repent of trying to be our own gods of trying to hold everything by our power and Lord we ask that you would give us faith to recognise that it is only through Christ that true foundations are found under our feet that our life is not the sandcastle that washes away but, Father, that in Christ we have a future that is guaranteed now and into eternity. Father, help us to trust. Help us to live by faith, knowing your heart to bless. And we pray this in Jesus'
0: name. Amen.